everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. Today, I'm joined by Jimmy Yu Evans. Jimmy Yu is the co-CEO of Project Community Connections Incorporated, PCCI. PCCI is probably the go-to leader in the Atlanta area as far as rapid rehousing of those who are homeless. Jimmy Yu oversees programs, culture, facility, board, business relations, strategy, fundraising, oh, so many things. He has presented both locally and nationally and is a sought after thought leader. He is also the past board president for the National Association for the Education of Homeless Children and Youth. PCCI is doing some fantastic, innovative things, and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about their work in the Thrive Sweet Auburn District of Atlanta, where they are helping to develop, along with their partners, 117 units of affordable housing. It's a really exciting time for PCCI, and CES is so happy to partner with them. So let's get into our conversation. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. I'm so happy to have my guest uh, today, Jimmy U. Evans. And Jimmy Yu is with uh, PCCI. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But I wanted to start by um, talking a little bit about how we know each other. And actually, we don't know each other that well. We know each other through Margaret uh, Schulke, who is your co-CEO at PCCI, and we can talk about that in a second. Uh, but I want to open it up um, just as an opportunity for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are. And I always tell folks, don't tell me your resume. We're going to get into that. But tell me how you came to be you. Well, well first, thanks. And uh, I appreciate the invitation to uh, Community Possibilities. This is an opportunity. Uh, opportunity that uh, I, I welcome and excited to have this candid conversation with you today. Um, so yeah, Jim, Jimmy Yu is uh, encompassed by a, a lot of different things. I think um, most recently in the work that I'm doing specifically within the homeless service community, I've had an opportunity to reflect uh, on how I've landed where I am, the journey that has brought me here and many of it, I, I believe, comes from just my, my upbringing, originally from Philadelphia, uh, it raised in the inner city near Temple University uh, in, the, in the 80s. And, and at that particular time, there was a lot going on within our nation. Uh, the particular area I lived in was uh, not necessarily the best neighborhood. Um, uh, but I think that was one of the places where I learned uh, the, the desire to uh, help people. Uh, one of my first jobs that I had in high school was a, a camp counselor working with elementary school children uh, over the summer. And uh, that really motivated me uh, to take on some work or desires to study criminal justice, and which has now landed me into the social work field. Um, I'm a, a, a proud father of an eight-year-old. I've been married for 15 years. Uh, I have a, a little Yorkie Poo at home that's a, a senior dog. And I have an awesome team and a wonderful co-CEO that has been 
uh, along this journey alongside of me for, for Project Community Connections over the last 14 years. Well, thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself. And I got to tell you, when I was um, peeking at your bio, I, um, I discovered that we have a similar career journey. So you started um, uh, working with, uh, let's just say, kids that got in trouble with the law. Uh, we used to call those uh, juvenile delinquents, right? And um, I did that same kind of work. So I, I always think it's so fascinating how we... Um, you know, as people find ways to connect. So I did uh, work in a juvenile diversion program. So kids that were first time uh, offenders or first time caught anyway, did community arbitration and home visits and uh, counseling and restitution, all those kinds of things. And if the kids uh, completed the program, they were diverted, you know, their, their, uh, their records were wiped clean, basically. So it was interesting to me that you started out working uh, with kids as well who were in trouble, and then you went to DFACS, and now you're in uh, homeless services. Yes, and I think a lot of that was intentional. Um, originally, when I graduated college, I wanted to be a police officer. Um, that track didn't necessarily uh, afford itself. So yes, both of us had a common path to working with juveniles uh, that had some sort of intersection with the criminal justice system. Um, that was, I think, the beginning of the, the budding of my social work skills and, and desire to wanna work with people, which then led me on a path to, to DFACS here in Georgia, working with uh, the investigations unit. And that, was a traumatic experience, to be honest. Um, removing uh, people's children from their homes due to abuse or neglect uh, is something that continues to be um, a, a, a blanket that I wear in my daily work and uh, how I interact with people. And, and to back, go back to your original question, I think around um, who am I and how did I come to become the person that I am? Those experiences along the ways, those exposures to different people's walk of life have allowed me to be uh, uh, a person who can empathize with people even more because I force myself into situations that allow me to experience other people's walk of life, whether I may be experiencing it myself, but at least walking alongside of someone who's having a life experience, a traumatic experience, as I continue to do this work within um, uh, the social work arena here in Atlanta, that has grounded me in understanding some of the macro and the micro level issues around homelessness, poverty, and um, issues around uh, inequities and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I don't know if um, it's, let, let me just say, it, it's interesting to me that um, there's such a focus now on trauma, right? And trauma-informed approaches, whether that be uh, therapy or kids in school or kids in uh, foster care. I don't know, I, I, I had a head knowledge of that when I was younger and working with those kids that were in trouble, but I don't know if I had the heart knowledge. I did have kind of, uh, I think, uh, like you, kind of a natural empathy 
for folks and a patience and an acceptance of uh, where people are, where they are without, without judgment. Don't think we have a whole lot of that going on right now. Um, true. Yeah, and we need, need more of that. But um, anyway, I don't know. It's just interesting that we had kind of a similar focus and, um, and now we're kind of in a, a prevention space, really, if you will. And um, if you, uh, when you hang around me, you'll know that I have a heart for kids in foster care. I love working with nonprofits in that space. I sit on a board uh, for a nonprofit that works uh, towards family uh, reunification. Um, so maybe we'll touch on that too, but uh, I want to talk to you um, now, maybe shift the conversation to your role at uh, PCCI, and everybody should know that stands for Project Community Connections, Inc., and you are a co-CEO, which is a little unusual for uh, nonprofits. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but you um, oversee culture, you manage the facility, uh, you work with evaluation, you provide board support. You've got this whole new initiative down in the, um, the sweet Auburn district of Atlanta. You do a lot. So talk to us about PCI. What do people need to know about uh, PCCI and uh, what you guys try to bring to not only Atlanta really, but a leadership in terms of folks who are not housed? Yes, thank you. Uh, so yes, Project Community Connections, we are a local nonprofit organization that uh, was, formed out of uh, one of the largest uh, developers for affordable housing back in the, the 90s, Progressive Redevelopment. So Progressive Redevelopment is our parent company. They built affordable housing within the metro Atlanta area. And then they created uh, two subsidiary organizations, one being Project Community Connections and the other being Caring Works. So Caring Works is our sister organization within the homeless services field. Caring Works focuses generally on more of the permanent supportive housing lane and PCCI as an established rapid rehousing provider. Rapid rehousing is, is now a newly coined intervention for homeless services across the nation. Uh, I would be proud to say that, that we were the originator of doing this work back in the early uh, 90s when we created the very first one-stop shop for homeless services at the intersection of Bell Street and Decatur Street in the heart of Atlanta. Um, this particular service center was a culmination of a collaborative of about eight different organizations that had different um, skill sets that provided a singular location for individuals and families to receive homeless services from using the phone to dropping off their bags if they had so they can go look for jobs. Uh, to get a hot meal, take a shower, um, and then also receive case management services. Uh, so PCCI utilized that building for the past 20 plus years and then transitioned into a, a rapid rehousing provider, uh, which we've been doing for the last 15 years. Um, we are one of the largest service providers that provides this service provision in the metro Atlanta area. We serve about eight counties, specifically in the metro area, and we uh, are proud that we have been able to end homelessness for thousands of people over the last uh, 10 plus years. 
So I, you know, there's so many terms in this space. So there's rapid rehousings, there's transitional housing, there's emergency shelter. So can you just kind of, for those of you, for those of our listeners who maybe are not familiar with these terms, what, what are all these terms mean and why rapid rehousing? Very good question. And it is, it is, it is, there are a lot of acronyms in this space and rapid rehousing is, is one tool that is used by communities to uh, provide a resolution to an individual or family's homelessness situation. Um, prior to rapid rehousing coming online as one of the most cost-effective interventions, there was kind of a continuum that people would need to go through a track in order to uh, get to permanent housing. So 10 years ago, a, a person who was experiencing homelessness would be referred to a homeless shelter, then they would graduate from the homeless shelter going to transitional housing. Then from transitional housing, then they would go into permanent housing. So that was the old model. Uh, most recently, right around the time where we, uh, the, the, the country had its first recession, uh, the federal government came out with a funding source called HPRP, Homeless Prevention and Rapid Rehousing. That particular service model was kind of the onset of the rapid rehousing movement across the nation. The idea of rapid rehousing now is to make people's homelessness experience as brief and as short as possible by taking them from wherever they at at that particular moment. And instead of triaging them through these other housing interventions, shelter, transitional housing, permanent housing, they go straight from the street or straight from a shelter directly into rapid rehousing, right under, under a roof, uh, and then we're wrapping them with services around them. So once we get them under roof, we get them settled in, we help provide you know, in, educational services. We make sure that their children have access to um, HUD McKinney uh, services and getting enrolled in school. We make sure the family has the, the basic essentials to make their house a home upon moving, like furniture and cleaning supplies and pots and pans. And we start working on their housing stability plan and getting them connected to income resources and benefits resources so they can be self-sufficient. So in totality, we're really cutting out a lot of time in an individual or family's homelessness experience by moving them quickly into housing um, through this housing first model, which is uh, really re the reduction of barriers for people's uh, exit out of homelessness into permanent housing. And, and it's been quite successful across the nation. It's been extremely successful recently here in the city of Atlanta um, in, re in reducing uh, the exposure of COVID-19 within our homeless, pop homeless population. Uh, we, we, we really triage uh, this particular work around the reduction of that spread of COVID-19 within our homeless shelters by making sure that we're not placing people in congregate settings and we're actually using this rapid rehousing tool and getting people under roof quickly. You know, it makes so, so much sense. When you, when you talk about what it was like 10 years ago and, and 10 years ago, and that's how, um, that's how Margaret, your co-CEO and I know each other from uh, the work when she was at the, the YWCA so many years ago, um, and I was doing some evaluation work for them. And one of them was um, 
uh, they had a, a shelter for homeless uh, women and children. It was, I think, one of the only two or if not the only one in Atlanta at the time. But that was exactly the model from shelter to, you know, to, to you know, transitional housing to, to hopefully, and so many people never made it to permanent housing because there were just so many barriers, you know, along the way. Um, so it just makes so much sense. And as a community psychologist, as you're talking, I'm like, well, yeah, duh, right? So that really is systems change right there. We totally um, change the way we think about how we um, be of service to those folks who are experiencing uh, homelessness. So that kind of brings me to, um, I had a question about terms, right? Um, I think hopefully we're more sensitive to the terms that we use when we talk about people. I'm trying to be more sensitive to that kind of thing. How should we talk about people who are homeless? Is it okay to say homeless people? Should we say unhoused people? That may sound like a silly question, but I've sat in conferences lately and I hear different terms and maybe we're all just trying to figure out, you know, like I said, how to be of service and how to be, you know, sensitive to people's needs. Now that's, that's a extremely important um, question. And I think that's a, a, a question that many people struggle with as they uh, try to define uh, homelessness. And, and, and the reality is that homelessness does not define the individual uh, that is going through that experience. That's why we lead with the experience uh, of homelessness and not uh, tie the word homelessness to that particular individual as their identity. Mm -hmm. uh, so we in the field uh, describe it as someone who is experiencing homelessness because once that experience has expired or is resolved, they no longer may or may not define themselves uh, or they may turn change the terminology to uh, a person with lived experience or a formally uh, homeless person. So th there's, a, I think, a distinction between how we define that and making sure that we're not defining the individual by that experience and really looking at uh, the individual based off of who they are, what contributions that they can provide to the community and society, and how we can help up uplift them to be um, more sustainable going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, we used to uh, refer to uh, folks with disabilities as disabled people versus someone with a disability, because the disability alone is not the totality of who they are. Um, so that's kind of what that makes me think of. So I think that's really important. How we approach people um, has so much to do with uh, our ability to be of service, I don't like the word helping, but, you know, to be of service, to be present for them, and, and to be that welcoming uh, presence where they would want to connect. I don't know if that makes yeah, that, sense. That, that in itself, I think, is where um, we're, we are trained as practitioners around um, compassion, around empathy, uh, really having people on your team that have lived experience because we, we all may not push ourselves into um, some darker places that allow for us to understand others walk of life. And, and that's kind of the basic foundation of, of, of building a rapport with someone. Um, 
and, and having some something in common that you can uh, strike a chord and build trust and build a team. Because the work that we really that we do, as you mentioned a second ago about providing a service, I really look at it as a as a, a teamwork project that, that we're working with each individual that is going through this experience. We're creating a um, playbook for success and we're working on on common goals to get them to the finish line. And there's a part that PCCI has to do, but there's also a part that that client has to do as well. And we elevate those individuals' strengths to help um, make the teamwork and the possibilities of, of the ending goals and the ending success all come together. Mm-hmm. And that's really the magic of, of what we do is we, we make sure that we're not um, enabling people we are empowering them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and walking alongside them too, it sounds like. So, you know, a lot of folks, um, this conversation has me thinking about um, the stereotypes that people often have about, um, you know, folks who uh, do not have housing. Um, so can you talk about some of the misconceptions or maybe stereotypes that we have about people without homes? Sure. I think the most eye-opening experience for me around this work was during uh, the recession in in the 2008-2009, where we had everyday working class, educated people who were losing their housing. Folks who had master's degrees, um, people who had a long track record of stable employment. And that that was an eye-opening time for our organization, for our staff to see individuals who you never would think would be experiencing homelessness uh, seeking help. And that's the key to, to, to the understanding some of those stereotypes is that homelessness doesn't have a specific face. It doesn't have a specific color, uh, ethnicity. So the idea that you could point out and pick out an individual who may experience homelessness is, is a definite misnomer and, and totally inaccurate because many people could be a paycheck away, could be a car repair away, could be a medical crisis or a health condition away from finding themselves in a situation where they're seeking help to stabilize their housing. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that we continue to try to uplift through our community engagement, our conversations with philanthropy, and making sure that folks really understand that this is not what you normally would, cons- not normally, what you would stereotypically consider as a uh, individual who's experiencing homelessness is what generally people see when they're riding around. They may see a person who is dragging a trash bag or they may see someone who's panhandling. That, that's not the individuals that we're seeing coming through our agency. Now there is a particular service model for those individuals, which is more of a supportive housing model for individuals who 
may have um, substance abuse, mental health issues, co-occurring disorders. But the people that PCCI sees are school teachers, uh, a mom with two children or a dad with two children that may be underemployed, uh, a mom who's fleeing domestic violence, someone who may be moving from another state with the promise of a job that didn't happen once they got here. Um, someone who has been diagnosed with the terminal illness. Like it's, it's, it's a gamut of different circumstances. There's not one client circumstance or story that's the same. Uh, everyone has a unique story and uh, we have to address those issues and those and, and seek out those strengths on an individualized basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, we're all guilty of uh, judgment. I think on any given day, and it's so easy to do that when we're talking about, you know, um, people who are experiencing homelessness. And I don't know if we just do that as a natural, well, you know, it's not me, right? That that's not, I, I would never be in that situation. But to your point, a lot of people were in that in that recession. And um, of course, uh, you know, COVID certainly has um, uh, put a strain on folks and their housing. And um, we know, uh, you know, evictions have gone up, you know, but anyway, suspending judgment. That's, that's kind of what I hear uh, you saying and not assuming that our stereotype is true of all people. And I guess part of me is like, they're still people. There are, they are our brothers and sisters and we have, that's my personal belief anyway, that we have a responsibility for our brothers and sisters. I totally agree. Um, we tend to see uh, a, a wide range of, of individuals that are coming through the system. And if you look at um, the point in time count, for instance, so every major uh, metropolitan city across the nation is required to do a point in time count if they're receiving federal funding uh, to serve the homeless population. And uh, that point in time count gives you a snapshot of the subpopulations that are experiencing homelessness within your metropolitan city. Metropolitan city, And it also gives you an opportunity to, to project forward and look back to see if you are moving the dial on ending homelessness which within those particular populations. Um, fortunately enough, enough um, the city of Atlanta, as well as the Cab County, has uh, ended veteran homelessness, specifically when you're looking at this term called creating a functional zero, which is that every veteran that is seeking assistance has the opportunity to receive some, tort, some sort of intervention. So there's, there's more interventions than there are people coming through the pipeline. So that's the, the said case for the Atlanta uh, continuum or the Atlanta continuum of care, as well as the Cab County continuum of care. But the point in time count really looks at the subpopulation. So you're looking at individuals, which many times when people are making those assumptions about homelessness as a whole, they're basing it off of individuals that they may see within their journey. But there's a hidden population of people who are experiencing homelessness, like uh, women with children, people who are staying in extended stay hotels that have housing instability, 
all of those individuals technically still fall within the federal definition of homelessness. Um, it just may not be that they are eligible for certain federal funded program that allow them to get housing assistance. So the, the definition of, of homelessness is a lot, uh, it has a wider range than people would normally think because you would, you would just think that it's the people you see on the street that are people experiencing homelessness. But we're, we're, we need to count the folks that are still in transitional housing. We need to count the folks that are in shelters. We need to count the people who are doubled up with auntie and uncle. And we need to count the people who are staying in extended, extended stay hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking at that, the gamut, it, the, it really en- encompasses a lot of different subgroups, subpopulations, and, and people in different walks of their, their life journey. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought up the veteran population because I heard a, um, I, it was a huge percentage, uh, and I don't know if that's if it was true or not, so I don't really want to say what the percentage was, but it was a large percentage of our veterans who are homeless, and it sounds like um, you're saying that Atlanta's really made progress in that particular subpopulation, if I'm understanding you correctly. Um, yes, that is correct. We've, we've made some e- extremely... Uh, good progress with the help of the Veterans Affairs um, program called the Supportive Services for Veteran Families. Uh, PCCI is a recipient of those funds, and that's allowed us to serve um, hundreds of veterans and making sure that they're stably housed and that they have uh, the, the access to the tools and the resources to make them sustainable in the future. So that program model has been extremely successful across the nation. Um, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from uh, the resources that have been provided to ensure that there's no gaps in how we are providing the service to the individuals and making sure that we are um, being all inclusive of their needs. Mm-hmm. So we've already talked a little bit about uh, PCC, PCCI and its focus on rapid rehousing versus transitional housing. Uh, but I want to dig into a little bit about how systems um, acerbate homelessness. Um, like we have seen, and I think this is true, not just in uh, the metro area or the state, but all over the country, an amazing um, uh, increase in the cost of housing, a decrease in the lack of affordable housing. We have folks, guess, guess back to stereotypes, we have folks who are working and cannot afford housing, right? So I want to dig into some of the systems level things that um, really kind of impact, uh, you know, those experiencing homelessness and then um, kind of move into PCCI's work and focus on that because you know systems change is something I know I talk about all the time it's but it's also a term that's kind of thrown out and I always want to dig in with my guests a little bit about what does that mean to you and how does your organization work to to change those systems yes systems are um a important part of how we work uh the, the 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 downside of I think some of those systems is that we're we're dependent upon certain things that allow for our work to be successful. And one of the things that is creating a challenge for our organization, but creating an opportunity for us to think outside the box is the uh, affordable housing sector, housing affordability. As a rapid rehousing provider, we are dependent upon 
locating um, conventional housing, uh, market rate housing for our clients to move into. So PCCI, as it stands today, does not own any bricks and mortar housing. However, we are building some housing, which we'll get to in, in a little bit. Um, but I, I, the people that we serve, the people that we uh, work with to get into permanent housing, we have to go out, build relationships with landlords and negotiate uh, approval for those clients to get moved into housing. And as we continue to find ourselves not only here in Atlanta, but across the nation in a situation where there is a, such a sharp increase in housing costs, it creates a, a huge challenge for us to continue to house people expeditiously and negotiate around these higher costs for, for housing. Um, there, there also is challenging with challenges with keeping people within the communities that they live, work, and play in, and that their children go to school. And I, I'm also the past president of the board of directors for the National Association for the Education of Homeless Children and Youth. It's a long name, NACI. They're a national organization that ensures the educational equity of our children who are experiencing homelessness within. Uh, the family unit and the family households and making sure that they stay in the, the school of origin is extremely important to their success. And that's something that continues to be a, a systematic issue that we have to navigate around because there may not be any affordable housing to attach that family to within those communities that they are comfortable, that the communities that they have the social supports, that they have their church, that they have um, their neighbors that may help watch their children, the childcare facilities, um, all of those things that, that, that we uh, may take for granted as, as kind of a normal operation for us are things that are vital within the, the scope of making sure that people have an opportunity to be successful once they um, land in a, a, their new home. Um, so some of those, those systems have been challenging for us to be successful in our work. We are being very loud advocates around housing affordability. We are making sure that we're strengthening other organizations who want to get into the space of, of building or preserving housing. Um, we're pushing the envelope to make sure that our children stay within the, the, the schools of origin. We're working with partners to help meet in the middle. So this is one of the things that I, I've been pushing with my organization is that we can't necessarily change the price of the rent. That, that's something that we don't necessarily have control over, but we can help our client get attached to a higher earning job. We, we can help our client find a um, course that can afford them a career path. Uh, and those are the things that we're focusing on now to help fill the gap in the middle, uh, to ensure that our clients can afford the rising rates of rent. Um, we're also trying to make sure that we're attaching them to things that are going to promote health and well-being uh, around eating, eating good foods. Many of the communities we place clients in are in, in food deserts. Um, and the food desert is, is described as a place that 
may not have uh, accessible fresh produce, grocery stores. You know, many times we see our clients are shopping at uh, your, um, your your corner stores, stopping stopping shops, and those type of places, and, and getting things that are not the best um, for for their health and and well being. So we're really trying to promote not only housing, mental health, and well being, but also nutrition um, in in all of our programmatics. Right. All those things that we call social determinants of health, right? Which is another big word, but basically we're people, you know, live, pay, play, work, and pray, right? So all of those, all of those things. So, um, and I loved how you, uh, you, I think the first on that list was to be a voice for affordable housing, right? So all of those pieces, all of those systems level changes are really Im important. So one of the things that you all are doing and you've actually gotten um, national awards for is the work that you've done to uh, pair TANF funds, right, with private uh, philanthropy. So can you talk about that work that is so different? Yes. Um, so PCCI had an opportunity to... Uh, work with the state of Georgia, specifically the Health and Human Services um, Department to pull down TANF funds, which TANF stands for Temporary Aid for Needy Families. Uh, that is a, a benefit that families can receive. It's time limited. Uh, it usually is a maximum of 36 months that a family could receive those funding, that funding source. And in the past, it's come in in a cash um, a, a cash type of uh, in incentive from that they would get from the Department of Family and Children's Services. Um, we, we approached the, the state about using TANF funds to support housing, specifically for clients or families with children that may have an intersection with the child welfare system. Um, we approached them in partnership with our uh, Atlanta Continuum of Care, which is Partners for Home. Uh, Partners for Home was the, the leverage to help raise some private dollars, which we braided with the, the federal money to stand up this, this program that we felt was very successful in not only diverting families from the child welfare system, but promoting uh, reunification for, for children who may have been removed. And um, the, the flexibility of the funds allow for us to be creative and paying for some of the things that normally we may not be able to support for a family. One being childcare. So specifically, if we're talking about a target population of families with children, many times those children were not school, school age or required after school programs so mom or dad could work. So having that uh, attachment to um, CAPS, which is a child care assistance program through the state, allowed for our families to get back to work, feel some sense of accomplishment, uh, establish goals, um, and then you know, create a, a stable environment for them to be able to thrive going forward. Um, that partnership included some folks um, that helped navigate through the state's 
approval process for the um, child care assistance program. We identified that there was a um, expedited process for families experiencing homelessness that really had not been used. And we elevated that to help get our uh, families approved for child care assistance in less than 30 days. So there were a lot of lessons learned that we um, came out of that program and that project that have been shared across the nation for other communities to replicate. And uh, we, we've been fortunate to have been featured in a couple uh, studies um, that uplifted this work in comparison to other communities. And we feel like the outcomes definitely have been positive and we, we see that that work will continue in the future. Right, and I, I, you know, to your point, you have been held up nationally and people are, uh, you know, doing that. Sometimes it just takes, you know, that one new idea to really, you know, take off to really help our, our community. So, so what's next for PCCI? <laughs> what is next? You know, PCCI has been an organization uh, over the past 20 plus years that continues to be innovative. I think that's what our mantra has been for the past uh, five plus years is, is innovate. We, we, we call ourselves the think do tank because we, we think of ideas and we, uh, we put them to work. Um, we, we, we build planes while, while we're flying them and we are solution oriented and, and we feel like we can contribute a lot to to the community uh, as we continue to evolve as an organization. And, and as described a little earlier, the, the challenges around being a rapid rehousing provider, but really fighting this uphill battle around housing affordability. Uh, just about three years ago, we, we found ourselves in this reflection period. We were operating out of this single story 1930s building that was formerly the Resource Opportunity Center, as I described at the beginning of the, the conversation, that one-stop shop. We had been utilizing that building for our services, our rapid rehousing services, but the building started to age. We, we started to need capital improvements that were gonna require uh, a six-figure plus infusion to keep the building operating uh, going forward. Uh, we, had a conversation with our board about, you know, what, what should we do with this asset? At that time, we owned the building. And we went through a, a few different type of charrettes and models around what, should, what we should do. Uh, should we sell the building and relocate elsewhere? Is there a practical repurpose of this building that we could do? And uh, myself and Margaret, my, my co-CEO, we dream big. We, we uh, brought to the board an idea of repurposing this building into an affordable housing development. Um, it took some time to get the board uh, on, on board, no pun intended, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we were able to uh, convince them that this is you know, the next iteration of, of PCCI um, from a, a small organization back in 1998 with three staff um, to now we're 30 staff plus and serving eight, eight counties. And 
we felt like this was something we needed to do to not only elevate the need for more housing affordability, but also to elevate the need for um, more community collaboration. So in, in all, we, we decided to embark on this uh, affordable housing development journey. We put out an RF, RFQ and it was a challenging project. The lot was very small. Um, we, we were a nonprofit. We, we knew our, our value and we wanted to partner with a mission organ, uh, a mission aligned developer who would um, make sure that, that PCCI had a stake in, in the development, um, make sure that PCCI was able to come back and continue to, to operate in our services, continue our services on site. Fortunately enough, we found Mercy Housing Southeast. Um, and Mercy Housing has been our partner in this development that we're calling Thrive Sweet Auburn. We are about one third of the way through the development. It's a, 117 units of affordable housing right in the heart of Atlanta. As you're coming down uh, south on the connector, you'll pass a iconic Coca-Cola billboard that's lit up in um, neon lights and, and our building sits literally right underneath that, wraps around that billboard. Um, we're gonna have 23 units of, of permanent supportive housing. So those individuals that you may see uh, or may not see that, that need a little bit more intensive case management, uh, there'll be specific units there for them. The other units will be 30 to 80% of the AMI, the area median income. So you'll have units there that hit that 30% mark that would be available for an individual that may be getting SSI or SSDI, all the way up to someone who may be uh, working at a local school or a grocery store. So there will be a, a, a variation, a blending of individuals that will have the opportunity to reside at Thrive Sweet Auburn. But to make it even better, we've, we've created uh, PCCI 2.0, which is the, the client enrichment or the client engagement center, which is a collaboration of nonprofit organizations that provide uh, social supports to the community at large, but also homeless people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, we have 12,000 square feet of commercial space on the ground floor, which will house PCCI's new services center. We have our workforce development partner, First Step Staffing, who's going to be uh, also co-locating at Thrive Sweet Auburn with us. As I talked the, the importance about um, healthcare and nutrition, we've got a preventative healthcare partner that's gonna be located in our leasing office, uh, community advanced practitioner, practitioner nurses. And then we have a nutrition partner um, that will be there as well, uh, Project Open Hand. So the same exact model that we stood up in the, uh, the late 90s to create that one-stop shop, that resource opportunity center, is what we've now uh, elevated to this new community engagement center that is slated to open in November of this year. What was that you said about Dream Big? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a little cutout. Um, it's, I don't think it's in this office. I, I'll have to go find where I have it, but it actually says that dream big 
I always told my kids that growing up, dream big, right? That's a huge dream. And for those of you who are not uh, familiar with Atlanta, that uh, that Auburn district is, um, that's the heart of Atlanta that has such historic significance, um, not just for um, our African-American community, but the, the the city as a whole, that's where the civil rights, the heart of the civil rights movement, that's, that, that, uh, that just gives me goosebumps. Very exciting times for PCCI. Um, we have created this, this kind of unique development project that is now getting buzz around the nation. We've, we've done multiple presentations on this particular model where you have a nonprofit organization partnering with a uh, developer, creating a social services center on the ground floor. Um, there, there's, there's starting to be this trend that we feel like we can continue to help elevate and move the dial on within other communities. Um, we're trying to empower other nonprofits that may have land, other faith-based entities that find themselves in a space where they want to do more for their communities and they want to make sure they stay a vital, uh, as a vital tool within those communities. And this is a method that they can utilize going forward to be able to not only provide some additional inventory for housing, but also provide a community space that will uh, be utilized for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know from talking to you in uh, previous conversations that we've had that you really have this, um, I think you do, you tell me if I'm wrong, this real vision of a vibrant community where where folks who were uh, experiencing homelessness at one point in their life are not only at home, but they are changing their communities. They're really engaged in their communities. You have a very, um, uh, a vision of this, a diverse group of people who are all living and, and, and working and, and worshiping and all of those things together. I don't know, maybe that, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but that's what I think you see. No, I, I, that's, that's kind of what the, the, the goal and the vision of, of Thrive Sweet Auburn is, is, is to create that community. You know, if, if you walk down Decatur Street in between the uh, MLK train station and the, the Georgia State train station, you're, you're going to see college students walking up and down the street. You're going to see everyday people that are going to and from work. And the installation of, of this asset is, is going to strengthen this particular corridor but then also allow people to see what the possibilities are, um, expose them to other people who are doing well, with the hope that, that those type of modality, that same type of um, growth and the vigor to wanna do good and help thy neighbor starts to just trickle within this particular space, trickling from those individuals who may be attached to those permanent supportive housing beds, all the way to the individuals who maybe, um, you know, working at a neighbor, neighborly grocery store or a student that, that may, be here, may be at the apartment complex. So I think that the ecosystem within this particular development is gonna be one of growth. It's gonna be one of compassion. It's gonna be one of community. Um, it's gonna be one that we're, you're gonna feel uh, a different element when you walk in the doors. And that's that's another important aspect 
that we were intentional to make sure that this development um, looked like any other development, that it, that it didn't appear to be this affordable housing development, that the individuals that live there have a sense of dignity and have a sense of pride when they walk in the doors. And that's the same feel that we want for our services center. When folks walk in the door, we want them to feel like that we built this for them. And when they come in, it gives them just so much energy about the services that we're going to provide to them, so much energy about the things that they're going to accomplish in life, so much energy about the, the communities that they're going to build. Um, and and that's, that's really the pride of this particular project. When, when, when we cut the ribbon and we invite folks in, uh, I expect tears of joy. Uh, I expect a lot of uh, a lot of cheer and a lot of hugs because um, it's it's taken a village to get this project up, and um, we are we are going to create many more villages because of mm -hmm. uh, the results of it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Jimmy, you, we have a lot of folks who um, listen to the podcast from all over. So what pe what can people uh, who are listening do to advocate for uh, folks who are experiencing homelessness in their communities? What what can, you know, the average community member do? Uh, the, the, the thing that I tell people often about their engagement with individuals that are experiencing homelessness is familiarize yourself with the resources. Um, many times I, I tell people, and sometimes people chuckle a little bit about this. When I'm out in the community and I um, encounter a person who's experiencing homelessness that may be panhandling or, or asking for a meal or money, the thing that I give them is actually my business card because I, I tell them that this business card and the connection to the services and the community uh, that this is attached to is worth more than the, the $2 that I can give you now. So uh, I'm planting a seed for people to connect to a whole continuum of people who care and that wanna help um, provide a stable footing for, for those that are experiencing homelessness. So really understanding what that ecosystem of service providers are in your community and making sure that you're ready to point that person in the right direction. It may not happen on the first time, it may not happen on the second time. It may take the ninth or the 10th time for that person to come around, but making sure that you have the most up-to-date information, I think is the most powerful thing that you can do to arm yourself with uh, interventions that can be the turning point for people who are finding themselves in this particular situation. All right, that's that's great advice. So is there anything um, else you'd like to chat about that we haven't already touched on? Well, you know, I, I think this 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 work that we're doing, um, specifically PCCI and other nonprofit organizations, you know, in the metro Atlanta area and across the country is really just a testament of, of humanity. Um, as you said, Anne, and previously, you know, I, one of our duties, I think, on this on this earth, is is to help thy neighbor, and is to create a space where everyone has the opportunity to thrive. And 
this is something that I really like to continue to push in any platforms that I have the opportunity to speak upon is just making sure that we're not only taking care of ourselves, but we're doing little things for, for others as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a community collaborative and um, they have kind of adopted that as their motto, um, be a good neighbor. So everything they do, whether it be uh, literacy or youth substance abuse prevention or their work in poverty, it all uh, is under that idea and that umbrella of be a good neighbor, right? Definitely a good motto. And it's the the golden rule we were all taught. That is correct. So I want to thank you for joining us today. I know I'm super excited to have reconnected um, uh, with Margaret and um, to to be um, meeting you and getting to know you in PCCI. And hopefully you'll come on in the future. We want to see that um, sweet Thrive Sweet Auburn, uh, what that really uh, looks like and keep up with your progress. So I always ask this of, of all my guests. So when you look to the future, Jimmy, you, what community possibilities do you see? I see a uh, communities of, of growth. I see communities of, of equity, equality, uh, not only for uh, those of color, but uh, for women as well. And uh, a community that is going to uh, be good to our young people. Um, our, our young people are the future and we have to let uh, create a roadmap for, for their success. And, and I want to feel comfortable that uh, we will do that and we will do that well. All right. Thank you for that. So for those folks who would like to get in touch with you uh, or learn more about PCCI, how should they contact you? Sure. PCCI, you can reach us. uh, We have a LinkedIn page, so you can look up Project Community Connections, Inc. on LinkedIn, or our website is pccihome.org. There you can find all the wonderful information about our nonprofit organization, the rapid rehousing services we provide, as well as Thrive Sweet Auburn. All right. Well, that's great. And thank you again so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure. Very, very nice conversation and look forward to doing great things with you and your team in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. I hope you were inspired by what you heard. I have a big announcement for you. I have a new free mini course that is available that I have designed for community coalition and nonprofit leaders. I've found that something that gets community leaders over their fear of evaluation or maybe it helps them make it more of a priority anyway, is to think about how they can use their data to reach their audience. So in this free mini course, I talk about infographics and success stories, and uh, even throw in an activity that you can do with your community group. So uh, check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can go on over and grab that mini course. 
And before I let you go, just want to remind you that it's so helpful if you would like and share and maybe even take that extra second to write a review about the podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.